When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. Gents, another game, another draw, another sense of possibly what if. Perhaps. It's nice to have you back though, Johnny. Thank you. Very nice to be back. Very nice to see you again. No, it was a bit um it was a bit disappointing, I think, and it for me it kind of summed up the it was like the season in a nutshell. Mm. The season in ninety minutes. It showed some promise at times. On the whole we looked like the we looked like the better side, I think. And then just sloppiness at the end and didn't really I think the bit that frustrated me the most, as as it has for my entire football watching career, is that when you're in a winning position with eight minutes to go eight minutes of normal time there's something in me that suggests and I know it's not as black and white as that but there's something in me that suggests you professional footballers should be able to see out a game and the nature of that last minute equaliser for for Leicester just frustrated me because it seemed like it wasn't like we were backs to the wall and they were peppering us with shots and we were unlucky it just seemed a bit it was a bit of a run run of the mill bog standard goal which uh, frustrated me somewhat but overall you know just same as the rest of the season I think yeah, um, it's one of those um, one of those games where you walked away from it and thought oh, we we played quite well there. We, did, we played quite well. Yeah, but you're right. I think at the end of the day, if you, if you just take away the, the controversy of the disallowed goal just for a minute, because we're going to touch on that, but you, you've got to be able to hold a game out. You know, you're going into the final moments of a game. Um, you're in control. You, you, you're winning two one. Um, you, you've managed to get back into the game after conceding, um, and you should be able to hold it, hold it out, you know. And you know, I keep saying it every week: this so-called big team mentality. Big teams hold on to leads in the final in the final two three minutes of stoppage time. We couldn't do that, and we, I don't know whether they switched off for thirty seconds. But you know, as we always know, and as we keep hearing in the Premier League, you can't afford to switch off for for you know two or three seconds, let alone thirty seconds. So it's frustrating. But at the same time, I think the performance was good. I think they'll learn from it. Um, and I'm I'm not too disheartened. And I don't know whether that's because, you know, the, the general feeling over the last few weeks is that our season's ended. We've got nothing really to fight for. Seventh place is, is, you know, well beyond us now. I think it was a couple of weeks ago after the Everton defeat. So 
what what more have we got to play for? It's it's like, well, you know, okay, well, we could try and finish in the top 10 still and there's still a possibility that we could do that. But I don't know, I just walked away from that game just thinking, okay, it's annoying that we concede at the end, but it is what it is. You know, I'm not surprised that we conceded at the end and that's it. I just think it's so frustrating given that it was only a few weeks ago that in genuine earnest we were talking in this studio about the race for seven. Mm. And it was a question of whether you wanted it rather exactly. than whether you had a chance. Oh, not even just that, but it was it, it was a given that we were finishing the top half and within the space of a few short weeks, that looks very, very unlikely now. If anything, as a few Palace fans have reminded me with glee this week, we could finish below them. We could end up in like 12th or 13th. And from pretty much thinking, oh, it's definitely going to be a better season than last year, don't worry about it. We've gone from that to we could just end up in average 13th place again, almost no, like not having moved on from last year at all. Well, on that, do you think the problem is that of complacency? Because you could say see it as complacency at the end against Leicester to switch off. But is it complacency more broadly where perhaps the team, and we've used that phrase big team mentality a lot, but do you think the squad are looking at certain fixtures and just going, yeah, we'll be fine, we'll be okay, we're West Ham? I've said that for most of the season because if you look at the, our performances against the, the likes of the top six, they've been very, very good and we picked up some, some quite big results against the top six. And if we haven't, we put in performances that potentially warranted at least a point. Um, whereas, you know, throughout the season, we've come up against the likes of Bournemouth and Brighton and, and Leicester uh, and Southampton and, and, and the like. And we, we've, if we haven't played well, uh, we've put in a, a, a real poor performance. Okay, we've got some results against those teams, but there are a lot of things when we drew away at Huddersfield one all. Uh, we only just beat them at home after being 3-1 down. <laughs> um, and I, I do think that there's an element of truth in that, in that they've, they've gone into some of these games and they've gone, oh, you know, well, we we beat Arsenal last week, so we'll be all right against this start. You know, they're, they're below us on the table. And I think that's the that's the, the byproduct of trying to bring in this big team mentality and, and sort of, you know, make the players think that, you know, they are, you know, they are very, you know, they are good enough to go out there and beat anybody on their day, but it has to be done in the right way. And I think that there's been times this season where they've they've thought that the game's won, whether that's before the game's even started or whether that's in the 92nd minute. I think, you know, that there have been times when we've, we've, we've let our guard down a little bit, just assuming that we've won the game before, you know, before we have. But even with that, West Ham were quite unlucky against Leicester. We touched in passing on that disallowed goal. Having a goal wrongly disallowed for offside, does that make you think about the introduction of VAR next season and go, actually, you know what, this could be quite good news for Premier League football? Well, I'm a big advocate of, of VAR anyway, especially so in decisions of offside, because I've had a, had a discussion on this station on the weekend, actually, about the, the pros and cons of, of the system, which every football fan in the land has had that conversation. And whilst I agree that there are some decisions that won't be solved by VAR, i.e. handballs, the ones that are still subjective, offsides are offsides. They're black or white. They might be marginal or only millimetres, and people say that we shouldn't be worrying about those. But at the end of the day, there's been plenty this season. James Milner was miles offside at the London Stadium in the build-up to Liverpool's goal earlier this season. I'm talking five or six yards. Mm. So I think decisions like that, Old Trafford with Anderson last week... And or the week before last, sorry, and obviously Perez on the weekend. 
those just go away, don't they? There's no discussion about those, and you get the goal, and the game goes from there. And the Perez one was marginal at the weekend, to be fair. It was tight, and the defenders are moving up the pitch while Perez is moving down. That is going to be a difficult one for the linesman to call. And he did make a good call for the goal we actually got, the one that Perez did actually knock in. Again, that would that was a very tight one for the Lino to spot. And with VA, you take that away. And West Ham get the goals they deserved, and then, you know, the, the game goes where it goes from there. But I still think sloppy defending at the end to let him back in. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. And I think my, my issue with the whole VAR thing is that it, it seems to happen too much, regardless if you've got VAR or not. Um, and I understand that, you know, people make mistakes. But when, this has been a problem for, for years decades actually in the Premier League in that there are so many human errors made by referees and linesmen and officials uh, every single week in the Premier League that people make mistakes that's fine but in a professional capacity it shouldn't be happening you know one or two times a weekend every weekend regardless of what teams are talking about um, and the fact that we've had to bring in or, or, or consider bringing something like VAR um, suggests that there's a real problem in terms of the quality of, of officiating in the Premier League and elsewhere in Europe as well. It's not just the Premier League. We're not, you know, we're not the only ones that had these problems. But I said it last week in that you know these decisions that um, it goes against West Ham and it goes against a lot. Of the small, you really get it against the top six. You really, you know, you really see, um, you know, Man United being annoyed, or you or, a decision uh, that's decision going against them. Against yeah, them. yeah they're all, annoyed quite a lot, but it's normally yeah, not but, the referee's yeah. fault. You, you 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 won't see Liverpool go. Oh, I can't believe um, West Ham scored against us, and and Philippe Anderson was five yards offside. You, you never get it. It'll go go for them. So, do you think that VAR is going to be an equalising factor? I do. I do. I think. I think it's exactly what the Premier League needs. Everyone keeps going on about you know. All the money, there's, it's never going to be a level, play, level playing field again because all the money that's involved in the top six are miles ahead of everyone else financially and they, they can spend all this money. I think that VAR could, I'm not saying it will definitely and it will immediately level the playing field, but I think it has, it has a huge, it'll have a huge part to play. It'll certainly close the gap, won't it? It'll close the gap. I mean, everyone says the top six will never be broken again because, you know, the top six have got all this money now. And if you look at the gap in terms of points... Um, there's what 14 points between sixth and seventh at the moment going into the last three games. I mean, it's a huge gap. But if you look at you know the points that say let's just use West Ham as an example, the points that we've been robbed as a result of not having VAR this season, I reckon that gives us another 10 points. So that puts us on 53. Okay, it does. It puts us only 11 behind six. But if you if then if you actually t- tally it up and take away the points that those big six have actually would have lost. That might put puts us a little bit closer. That puts us in seventh place with t- three games to go. It makes a huge difference to a football club, uh, not just in terms of where they finish the season, but financially as well. Mm. I think that's why it's so important that they bring it in. Yeah, and ultimately it is about fairness. And regardless of criticisms about speed, about a loss perhaps of drama, it will level that playing field. And that can only be a good thing. Talking of the top six, three of the top six are, of course, going to be in Premier League action tonight. We'll start with Arsenal, who kick off away at Wolves at 7.45. And then it's the big one, the Manchester derby at 8 o'clock. How do you both see that one going? My heart screams for a Man City win. 
I hope that with everything about was this me. from the point of view of hating Liverpool? Well, hate's a very strong word, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think um, I, th- I did see an interesting stat or a table this week that's um, which claimed to understand what percentage of each team's fans wanted either Liverpool or Man City to win the league this season. And according to this this source, West Ham, apparently 71% of West Ham fans would prefer Liverpool to win the league over Man City and I do not believe that for as long as I've got eyes in my head it's just trying I mean I'm completely different in that you know I quite like Liverpool I'm the same and you're the first person I've come across where I haven't got a pasting for saying I would rather have Liverpool win the league than City I mean mean, I'd I'd love to see Liverpool win the league Uh, and I know I'm probably one of the no I I would I would genuinely love it I would I mean I I would genuinely love it if they did win the, win the Premier League, but I also really really like Man City. I mean West Ham and City have got this really nice sort of friendship going on. It's all mm. a little bit weird, um, but I like it. It's nice. Um, so I mean, if City won it, fantastic. Well done, lads. It's great. But if Liverpool won it, it'd be like, well done, Liverpool. You know, about time. Finally, about time. <laughs> and you know, I don't think City fans, City or City, will be crying that much, given you know they're going to probably win another five or six know. in the next five or six years. I think they might be though, because as you say, the Premier League is less of a big deal to them because of the history there. But equally, City a few weeks ago were actually quietly talking about a quadruple. And if they come away from this season with fewer than two pieces of silverware, the way in which expectations are skewed that. at that club means that will be that. a disappointment. I think that, you know, but what what I mean is that in, in the next few years, I think City are more likely to win another one than Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, I think Liverpool have, have uh, rode a wave a little bit and, you know, I think they're going to... Th- I'd love to see them do it, but I think tonight United uh, just clearly won't turn up. I think City will beat them. Mm, bold I'm, shout I'm worried I'm worried I think, I think <laughs> something will happen I think United will get a point at least I think whoever you want to win the league situations like tonight are actually what football's about because you've got Liverpool fans for the first time in their lives desperately supporting Manchester United and they probably wouldn't admit it but they really will be supporting Manchester United and I love that that kind of scenario can be uh, can come into being really of course we'll be bringing you updates from Wolves versus Arsenal and the Manchester derby kicking off at 7.45 and 8 respectively throughout the show we'll be having a chat about the goals as they fly in and talking of goals coming up it's time for a chat about a certain Mr Mikel Antonio this is Love Sport it's the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio you're with Johnny Burrow James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World and Antonio scored again at the weekend his 25th Premier League goal and he loves a header doesn't he he does love a header and when I saw this on the on the running order for tonight earlier on I was quite I was quite pleased actually to see it because I've been I've been banging on all season when we've had the Deadwood conversation which mm. we've had many a time about which of the players in the squad should be leaving come the end of the year regardless of who we've who who we may bring in I've always thought that who's going to leave is going to be more important and I've I've been one for I've almost been calling for Antonio to to be one of those who makes his way out of the club, mainly because I'm aware that he's on a he's on a significant contract, and I know he's a likable, affable guy, and he's good for social media content, and he does some exciting celebrations every now and then, but I just think the the contract that he got after our last year at Upton Park was thoroughly deserved at the time. He was outstanding that year along with everyone else. 
and I just think we've we've struggled to we've struggled to recoup uh, the value like from his performances on the pitch to what we've been paying him out of our bank. And I just think I know it's it's hard to think like that all the time, but I have been calling for him to go all season. However, the last few performances has changed my mind slightly, and I'm also aware of what we were speaking about last week, James, which is we've got to be be wary of a quick fire sale at the club. As much as I do think there's lots of dead wood, there is a danger in mm. turfing out 50% of the playing squad because they might not be up to it because it ruins the, it upsets the apple cart and ruins the, you know, the characters and the dynamics within the squad as well. And I think Antonio is a big part of that, isn't he? He's a big character. He's a big face around the, around the place. And I think his recent performances maybe have warranted another year. Although I still, I'm still of the same opinion where I wouldn't be heartbroken to see him walk out the door. I think I think I'm of the same view in that I, w- I wouldn't be heartbroken, but I'd still be a little bit annoyed um, and a little bit frustrated if if he was allowed to leave. Uh, and and f- the reason why is because if you actually take a step back and look at what he's done for the club over the last four four seasons, um, if you include this one as well, he's 25th Premier League goal. Um, fun stat actually. Before I go in any further, sixty uh, percent of his goals in the Premier League have been headers. That's 15 out of 25. Uh, only quick John- maths. Quick maths. Um, it's written down in front of me, but <laughs> say that quietly. Um, John Terry is the only player in Premier League history to have a higher percentage of headed goals. Now that's a stat. Um, for those who have scored 25 goals or more. Um, that's impressive. Mm. Uh, but this is a player that, and I, a lot of people forget this, this is a player that when he arrived at the club, it took him until December signed on the 1st of September um, on deadline day took him to December to earn his first start and by that time he'd only made three appearances before then so he had to be patient uh, then started scoring goals for fun via his first goal against Southampton was um, was funny he fell over and then yeah, that was the it. defender cleared it and he hit his head and went in ballooned over the, ballooned over the keeper and that kind of sums, sums up the way that people perceive him he's, you know, he's a bit calamitous never looks comfortable on the ball but he's effective hmm and this is a player that has been Will Pugh's pulling a face so carry on when you say is effective that suggests very much present tense I think was effective that, that's how I see but, it well, but isn't at the same effective? time he's he scored goals this season um, well, but it, let me just go on sorry we finish Will <laughs> um, he's this is a player that has played in about nine different positions or you could say ten like he hasn't he, the only position he hasn't played in is, is in goal and he hasn't moaned once. This is a player that has, has played right back, played right wing, played right forward, played number 10, uh, played as a shadow striker, played as an out-and-out striker. Um, he's even played left wing. Um, you know, th- he hasn't moaned once. He's just slotted in where he's needed. And the million injuries that we've had since he signed for us, you know, he's been happy just to step in where where Bilic has wanted him, where Moyes has wanted him, where Pellegrini's wanted him. And he's still scored goals in any position he's put, been put in. And I think for a lot of people overlook the fact that, that that can be incredibly important to any football team, let alone us who have like always have a million injuries. So if you've got a player like that in the squad, why would you want to let him go? Six goals in out from thirty five appearances in all competitions this year. So but he has that, been playing as a sort of right wing back half the time. Here's, uh, here's, here's another stat to counteract what you just said yeah, there. On. <laughs> He's only started fifty four percent of our league games this season. I feel like I'm watching Top Trumps live. Just sort of one-upping <laughs> With each Mikhail other. With Mikel Antonio. Yeah, he's, only, he's, only, he's only started 54% of our Premier League games this season. 
but he still contributed twenty percent of our goals. Should we be paying a man seventy grand a week who can only who's only good enough to start fifty percent of the games in a season where we've been injury ravaged? But he's looked quite lively in games where he's come on. And this, I, I watch him less than you do, but to the untrained, un-West Ham fans, I. What Antonio always strikes me about him when I see him is that he looks really lively, he looks really direct, and he also looks really raw. There's quite a lot of dipping in and looking exciting and then getting the shot a bit wrong, or the touch is a bit heavy. And he always feels like a player, or if he worked on a couple of aspects of his game, fine-tuned it a little bit, just got a bit more finesse in the mix, he could actually be really, really impressive. It just sounds to me like you're describing the Mikhail Antonio of old because the uh, his peak was that again with, with pretty much everyone in the West Ham squad at the moment who's been there a while their best season in a claret blue shirt was the last season at Upton Park that definitely applies yeah, to Antonio yeah. as well mm-hmm. and everything you were saying there I totally agree but that's just Mikhail Antonio of old I think there's a lot of people who would suggest all of the the negative sides there where which suggest the the finesse that you're after at the end that's still or the lack of finesse that's still there however it just looks a bit cumbersome he goes past people less it perhaps looks a bit almost too bulky that's been thrown at him a few times that he's put on too much muscle do you buy that as a criticism we've seen the same thing leveled at Lukaku it seems like a very very odd complaint well I think that's just people looking for for reasons behind the symptoms because they see the symptoms on the pitch where perhaps he's not at, certainly not as effective like let's be frank he's not as effective as he has been in a West Ham shirt before mm. so perhaps there is a bit of that people looking for something that that perhaps isn't there I mean his hairstyle this season has been a bit hit and miss as well isn't it to be fair <laughs> yeah yeah, so, I agree with that. but it, it, you know it is, it is very much clutching at straws perhaps but but then you know I, I, if that turned out to be true like I wouldn't be surprised either. I just it just doesn't inspire the same level of excitement and confidence in me when I see his name on the team sheet as he used to. I, I do get that. I understand it. And you know, as much as um, I've just rattled off all those really impressive stats that support him, I think I think we have to be realistic in that. Yeah, he's on he's on a quite a big wedge, um, and you know, can we really afford to be spending? that sort of money on a player that you know isn't going to start every game and if he does he's not going to be as effective every game when he starts um but then he will chip in with important goals um as i said at the beginning i i think that you know if we did sell him this summer I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't be you know gutted over it it'd be a little bit frustrating that we've allowed him to leave but i don't think a lot of people give him the credit that i think he deserves Given the contribution that he has made since he started, um, you know, I, I wrote, I've, I've written a column on on whether he deserves a, a new or another season at the club for a fanzine, and uh, some of the stats I pulled out were interesting. And, and one of them is that his longest spell without without a goal for the club since he signed was only ten games. This is a player that doesn't start every game. I think he's, I think he started less than he's actually appeared. So hang on, is this is this ten games for the club or ten games that he has featured in? 10 games he's featured in okay um and a lot of those games were off the bench so and that was actually that period was actually christmas of the year that um we had the it was like when Moyes just took over so it was all a little bit you know no one was playing well then so i think you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt i think he's never really moaned 
I'll give you one more stat to, which backs you up as well. Stats right, everywhere. Richie, Richie Everyone Wall, loves right. a stat. The West Ham have not lost a game this season in which Mikel Antonio has scored. Game, so. set and match, Will Pugh. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Drops Mike. Drops Mike indeed. Luckily, they're on lovely little metal suspenders, so none of us could drop them even if we tried. We covered Antonio, I think, but not the only goal scorer for West Ham at the weekend, of course. The other was former Arsenal outcast Lucas Perez. And could he have a future at the club as well? Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport. It's the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio, and we've got some team news through for you from the Manchester derby for the home side Manchester United David De Gea in net Damian Young Smalling Lindelof Shaw Pereira Fred Pogba Lingard and Rashford that midfield two of Pereira and Fred doesn't fill me with confidence against a very very incisive Manchester City side but there we go for Pep's men it's Edison Walker Company Laporte Zinchenko Gundogan Fernandinho, Silva, Bernardo Silva, Aguero and Sterling, Leroy Sane and Riyad Mahrez both on the bench. As of course is the goal scorer against Tottenham Hotspur, Phil Foden. We'll be bringing you updates throughout that game and also throughout Arsenal versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. And talking of Arsenal, it's time to turn our attentions to Lucas Perez who didn't have the best of times at the Emirates. He's not actually had the best of times at the London Stadium either. But he did score at the weekend. And is his career at West Ham over? I think we were expecting it to be over. Yeah. Um, it's just a player that, you know, hasn't really, hasn't really happened for him. But And everyone just expects him to leave. My argument is that we could probably, you know, we could probably use him. Okay, well, while, while we're having a stats-themed evening... <laughs> Love this. 17 appearances and six goals. Yep. So, a better ratio of... Goals per game than Antonio. How many are stars? Oh, okay. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. That, 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 that's the thing. But that's, it was only when, because you brought it up earlier, James, when we were talking, how that, you know, perhaps he has got a future at the club after all. Because it has been the conversation all season, hasn't it? When we've been talking about who's going to leave, has been, oh, yeah, Perez. He's always on that list mm-hmm. without fail. And you, you brought it up, didn't you, about perhaps he's, he's one of those players akin or similar to Andy Carroll who his destiny is to come off the bench and have that impact off the bench. Because like you say, when he has started, he's never filled teams or, you know, filled teams with dread, so to speak, is he? But he does come on and bring something different. And I am starting to be of that opinion as well, where we can't just have a quick fire sale of everyone who, if you look at individually, we think isn't quite up to it or hasn't quite got it Mm. or perhaps has room for improvement. We can't just bin them out because that's not how football works. And the more I think about it, especially with our, you know, our, our current situation up front anyway, that keeping him on board wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because he didn't cost a lot of money and he's not on huge wages. No, I, th- I no, I do agree with you, and I think, I think we have to look at it in that if, if you're gonna, if we, regardless of how how much we need to strengthen the starting eleven, squad players are still important, and I think squad players that have the ability to make an impact off the bench are, are also equally important. I think if you actually look at uh, Lucas Perez this season, he's he's had an impact off the bench. He's actually, only, of his six goals, he's only scored... Uh, one, one of those came in a game that he started. That came in the 8-0 win over Macclesfield. Uh, he played the full 90 minutes, the only time he's played 90 minutes. And if I, 
if anything, he should have scored more against Macclesfield. He scored eight that night, he scored one. Um, but regardless of that, all of his goals have, been, have come from off the bench. Um, and the, the ones in the league, I mean, he could have scored two against Leicester, had one wrongly ruled, uh, ruled out, but he got the other one, got us back in, you know, got us back in front. Uh, scored two against Cardiff um, when we were one nil down, I believe. Come off the bench, scored two, um, and then you know the the others have been uh, in the cup uh, against Macclesfield, against Tottenham, uh, and against Wimbledon. Um, you know, all th- uh, well, the Tottenham and Wimbledon games, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd lost those before we'd even come off the come off come off the bench. So I'd argue that you know if you've got a player on the bench that can come off and score goals, then why why would you sell him? And I think you know we've we've got you know we've got we've had a player that could do that in the past, but he's always injured in Andy Carroll. But Lucas Perez, you know, isn't always injured. Keep him in the squad. Keep him in there. You know, if we if it's one all and we need we need to grab a goal at home or or away or wherever, and you've got Lucas Perez on you know on the bench hungry to get on the pitch, then why wouldn't you want why wouldn't you want someone like that to come on? I am, I am inclined to agree with you. <coughs> Excuse me. I am inclined to agree with you as well. In because you know you call it like the Snodgrass syndrome, how he came to the club and didn't do anything for quite a while, really, did he? Just didn't look promising, and he had to go away before he could come back again, and it took some time to bed in. Perez really in his career since two thousand nine hasn't been anywhere for longer than two years, mm. so I, I am inclined to think you know if you let him settle and gave him a chance he could actually produce some goods a bit longer term obviously Johnny would watch you'd have watched a bit more of him before as well like Arsenal what, what are your thoughts the experience of him at Arsenal was that of which you just explained really well and that he was never given a chance he was never given a run in the team my response when he signed for Arsenal was that of many Arsenal fans which was he was a classic Arsene Wenger signing and I don't say that to get at Wenger I'm very fond of Wenger but what I mean by that it was the sort of relatively budget 14 odd million quid quite good might be brilliant lesser known signing from a European league and what Wenger used to do is sign four of those rather than going right I'm going to sign one player for 60 million and he's going to be the real deal my attitude to Perez I think is that of many Arsenal fans which is I always thought he was quite good but just not quite good enough for Arsenal but I think the troubling thing is he looks to be having the same problem at West Ham where he is quite good but is he ever going to be a striker to score you more than eight goals in a Premier League season potentially not potentially not but then, James is shaking his head I uh, don't think he is personally I think he was just one of them off the bench players then. Yeah. but will he be happy with that well I don't, I don't know uh, don't care you know I think he's under contract keep, keep him at the club um, if we do sell him we do sell him Again, it's not. It's like Antonio not, wouldn't be the end of the world, but I do. I do genuinely believe that there's an argument to, for for keeping him at the club. Pellegrini's sitting down and going, right, this is the role I see for you. If you're happy with it, then you know you're still you're still here. Um, perhaps throwing a goal bonus for him <laughs> might make him turn up. Might make him turn up. You know? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, just watching him the other day when he came on, he looked really hungry. He could have had, to, he could have had a second goal, um, and I just think. Why, why, why are we keep saying we're going to sell him when actually he could be quite useful? Yeah, no, for, and for only four million quid as well, which is what we paid for him, it's peanuts nowadays. Isn't yeah, it? it's absolutely, it's virtually nothing. I think his fate is to end up back at Deportivo, 
where he went on loan between, of course, spells at Arsenal and West Ham. And that's the only place in his career where he's really had a really good season. And I think that is probably what will end up happening with him. But as you say, it's a bit like the Antonio question. It's not as straightforward as, is he good enough? It's also, well, for that money, for those wages, what are the alternatives? Would there be any guarantee that a replacement would be better, would offer you more? Or is it actually a case of going, well, you know what, he's decent, he does a job. My only concern would be that too many of West Ham's strikers seem to perform better off the bench because it's the cliche that gets thrown at Chikorito every single time, but he does seem to be more effective when he comes on as a sub as well. I think we've also got to consider the fact that Arnie's probably going to be off. Mm. Um, Chicharito's probably going to be off. Andy Carroll's definitely gone. Um, so if, if Perez goes as well, that's four strikers we've lost in one summer. You can't you <laughs> yeah. can't go out and buy four strikers. AKA all of our strikers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, Grady didn't garner. Yeah, well, he's, he's not a winger, really, he? yeah, he's, he's a, a winger. winger yeah. I mean, Zande Silva's sort of in the wings, but uh, uh, Tony, Tony Martin is still knocking about somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> uh, You've I got Hugill to come back from. I've got John Hugill, yeah. Um, but other than that, like, I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? Really. So if, if you're going to get I think Shola Amiobi is available. Yeah. Okay. Oh, brilliant! We'll get rid of them all and bring Shola in then. <laughs> We've solved it. You're welcome. If I'll you're die. listening, Mr. Pellegrini, it's all sorted. Not just West Ham's men's who've been in the headlines, because the women have reached the Women's FA Cup final. A wonderful achievement. And there's a problem, which is that the FA Cup final for the women clashes with a game for the men, and the FA won't let them switch it. What is going on? Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport. It's Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World here for your West Ham fan show on Love Sport Radio. And West Ham's women have succeeded in the wonderful achievement of reaching the FA Cup final. Celebrations around the club. The glorious thing being, of course, that supporters of both the men's and the women's team were thinking we'll be able to see both teams operate on the same weekend. Apparently not. So this FA Cup final clashes with the men's league match on the 4th of May. That league match is supposed to kick off at 3 o'clock. The women's FA Cup game kicks off at 5.30. Yeah. 5.30. And West Ham wanted to shift the league game to 12 o'clock earlier. Simply so, fans who've watched the league game can then nip over to Wembley and watch the Women's FA Cup final as well, which seems like a sensible solution, allowing both games to be watched by the same people. And the FA have said no. Exactly. Yeah, poor really, poor. And I think the the most frustrating thing is the reasoning behind it was, I believe, I haven't got the exact quotes in they front of me They say it would here. be a potential inconvenience to fans. Yeah, and I, my first thought, and it's one shared by many, is that, because I'm one of those who wants to go to that, mm. my first thought with that response was, well, what happens when away tickets are sold and people book travel or hotels or whatever. that's, that's and then, what they mean by inconvenience, right? Exactly, is that away yeah. fans might book their trains and they can't rearrange it. Southampton fans may have booked travel. Or, you know, obviously West Ham have got an enormous nation worldwide fan base, so fans will have booked flights, trains, whatever, to, to come to the game, which makes sense. But when it's an away game, and there's always that caveat when you book tickets for away games or whatever that this fixture is subject to change. And then if Sky or BT Sport decide that actually that Saturday three o'clock fixture, we want that on a Monday night or we want to move that to a Sunday lunchtime, 
there's there's none of that oh it's a bit inconvenient what about the people who've booked travel and all that sort of stuff then you're supposed to consider it and now all of a sudden where this is a far bigger event the women have that's a huge achievement for the women's team it's their first first year in the WSL this season mm-hmm. they're not doing fantastically well I think they're around 7th out of the 11 teams they're not doing brilliantly but it's an absolutely outstanding achievement to reach the final and there is genuine interest amongst the club's fans to go and see both games and there's people who just aren't able to do it through no real reason that you can actually put a nail in so the FA are right it is an inconvenience to fans to think not of, be able to watch it's both games it's an inconvenience games. to the fans that aren't able to go and watch it and mm. I think the, the FA regardless of what they've said I think they should be ashamed because they're trying to raise the profile of women's football uh, and West Ham fans have really, really got involved in in, their, in the women's team, particularly this season. But you know, it's been going, bubbling around for the last two or three years. And um, this is the opportunity to go to Wembley and watch West Ham. Forget whether it's the women's team or the men's team. For fans, doesn't matter if they're, they're women or men or whatever. For fans, the way they see it is that West Ham are in an FA Cup final one sat on that Saturday, um, and they got an opportunity to win an FA Cup. And a lot of fans. Uh, have been technically robbed of going to watch that watch that final and get behind the club because it is it is the club you know a lot of people go oh you know it's the women's game it's the men's game for me it, it should be the same thing mm. and so a lot of fans I mean Will you're, you're going to be leaving the Southampton game early I presume to, to, to be going to, to get over to Wembley in time you might miss the first five minutes um, that then I mean a lot of fans are probably doing that so that then leaves half empty Wembley Stadium because a lot of fans might not get over there in time, but it also leaves half an empty London, London Stadium because uh, I know a lot of fans are going to be doing a very similar thing. Um, not great for the FA, not great for the Premier League, not great for uh, you know the women's FA and, and and you know the spectacle that they're hoping to put on at Wembley. And that point you make about wanting to raise the profile of the women's game is absolutely spot on because it's something that everyone in football is working towards. It's something the FA are effectively custodians of. And at the point where you're trying to say, listen, this is of equal value to the men's game and we should all be going. It's an FA Cup final. And then you force fans to pick. What? Where is the rationale? It's, you know, they want, they want to make the, women, the, women's, the women's game and the women's football more accessible to all fans yet they won't move a kick-off to make sure that, that ga- the biggest game of the, the women's footballing calendar... And arguably West Ham's footballing calendar as a club, actually. Absolutely, this yeah. yeah. What, what I will say, just quickly, just to clarify, that it's the Premier League who have blocked the move rather than right. the FA, okay. just so, you know, because obviously the FA are going to... They're going to want the the FA Cup final to be the biggest event of that day. So it is actually the Premier League who've blocked the who've blocked the fixture change. And but and, you know, there's plenty of things that those two entities argue over about the Premier League and the FA. And it looks like the Premier League aren't willing to to bow down on this one. And I think the other disappointing thing, just to get it in quickly, is there's around thirty five thousand tickets being sold at the moment for the game. I understand at Wembley. This is the women's FA Cup final. And I think that's only the the record attendance for a women's FA Cup final before I believe is around forty five thousand, which was for a Chelsea v Arsenal game. So there's two London clubs there already. Anyway, they're ten thousand away from breaking that record with where you know you've got sixty thousand people, which at least twenty percent of them are gonna would think, oh yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go and have a bit of that for the FA Cup final on a big occasion. Mm. You could easily be smashing your attendance record for a women's FA Cup final mm. and just by just once again football authorities not being able to 
come to what's a logical conclusion that would work and make sense for most fans. It just sounds like no one who's actually a football fan or who has any interest in going to either game has been consulted because if you had any interest in doing both, you would just see that it's let's, nonsensical. Let's have it right. When are the fans consulted about any decision that any organisation makes, any governing body makes in this sport? And how difficult... And I, think, I don't think the fans are ever, I, ever spoken to about any decision that's ever made. That's totally right. And how difficult would it be to re- if people could prove that the moving of the game had inconvenienced them or cost them that much money, how difficult would it be to reimburse those people? Well, mm. they make enough money, don't they? So... Not difficult at all, is the answer. Well, hopefully the Premier League see sense. Coming up, West Ham are focusing beyond just uh, that weekend in May, beyond just that FA Cup final, and looking ahead to the summer and some transfer business. Normally, the phrase war chest gets thrown around, but I'm not sure West Ham's is going to be deserving of that moniker. Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport. If you're a real football nerd, there are a few things more exciting than a transfer window, a transfer rumour and eventually, of course, at the end of that long and winding road, a transfer deal. West Ham will probably need a few of them. There will be exits from the club. There will be entrances into the London Stadium. But apparently there could not be quite as much money knocking around as Hammers fans would hope. 30 million plus player sales is the is the supposed figure, isn't it, James? Yeah, it's... Sometimes I, I get a bit wary about believing some of these rumours that come out. Totally agree, yeah. Particularly where Golden Sullivan are concerned and their history in terms of sort of feeding the fans their transfer plans before anything happens. But at the same time, you can't not be a little bit worried about that, can you? Because... Last year, I think we were, be, we were being fed figures of about 50 or 60 million. That turned out to be just short of 100 million. Um, so, difficult to read into it, but if it is 30 million quid plus player sales, then we're going to have to sell a lot of players. And as we've already established, we can't sell, we can't do a fire sale. So, 30 million quid is, is, isn't even one Felipe Anderson, which is what today's market is. Um, what, we're going to just buy a load of Lucas Perez is, or you know, or what's going to, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to operate in this window? We're going to lose Arnautovic, nowhere near on? forty million quid for Arnautovic. By the way, I 20, mean twenty-five, twenty twenty-five max. I can't even see us getting thirty for him, unless he bangs in about nine goals between now and the end of the season. <laughs> he looks well up for that. As uh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even then, I, I think the Chinese may have even forgotten about him by now. <laughs> so, I mean, like, let's say right, we're not going to get a lot of money for him. Hernandez is 10 mil max. I can't see him going for more than that. So that's only 35. Okay, so we've got 65 million quid to spend. So that's what, one and a half Felipe Anderson's. It's not enough money. You know what? Even I agree with you about being hesitant to believe, believe figures and stories like this initially. However, I do think given that there will be a few players out the door, and you said 10 million for Hernandez there. There will be more than that, surely. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I mean, I'm not... You, you perhaps bump that up to 15 when you we mentioned that today's market that we all talk about. A, a name like Hernandez sells enough shirts to get a bit more money in than that. But you're going to have Obiang. We'll get 8 to 10 million for him. If someone like, I'm not saying Antonio anymore, but if he goes... Eight to ten mil for him. There will be. You a might few get more for door. Antonio because these homegrown could, players. I think we could get fifteen, twenty for Antonio. I, mean, well, I do but, believe we could. So that's what I'm saying. So I do think there's. I think there's money to be to be had there from our existing squad, which would then bring you up to the hundred million ish mark again. 
but you've got still got to replace those players. You have. Although we've got to get rid of these players because there's dead wood, but you've still got to replace them because that squad's not big enough just to, just to flog a load of players and then just leave it at that. These players need replacing, and given today's market, these players, when you replace these players, you're bringing in players that are a lot more expensive. So, okay, we're, you know, we're bringing in a little bit more money into the kitty, but then we're spending more going out. Now, if we're going to sell Obiang for 10 million, you're going to replace him with a player that's going to be worth more than 10 million because that's today's market. And I, I, I just don't, I don't see us doing it. I don't know, I don't know how we're going to be able to get rid of the Deadwood effectively and efficiently without us either being left short or us not being able to afford the right player. But before we dwell on how much money there's going to be, whether it's enough money, let's chat about where you need players. So we're talking about replacements, but if you were identifying various positions where signings are needed, what is needed? Because then we can work out how much money that's going to require. So where would you look at additions coming in? I think it's the, the same conversation. We've, we've touched on this before, and, and the answer before January was wing-backs and maybe something at centre-half and a mid, some midfielders. However, with the Arnautovic saga, it looks like, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the rest, we certainly need someone up front, and I'd love to see Aleksandr Mitrovic come in. Hmm. I think he'd be a, a very, almost hmm. a ready-made replacement for the Arnautovic style. The, the style of the team works well with that all-round bullish striker up front who can win a bit in the air, can hold it up, but can also put the ball in the net. So I think that would be a great signing. And... I think the wing the wing back problem hasn't really gone away at either side, has it? Masuaku and Cresswell at left back, and then Zabaleta and Fredericks at right back. Neither of no none of those four players inspire you with huge confidence. We obviously know Zabaleta's coming to the end of his career. I think Fredericks will come good longer term, but that that needs. I I just think we've also got so many players in midfield to come back from injury. So I, I think Sanchez talking of that actually he's going to be back in for the last few games of the season a player that we barely seen in a West Ham shirt Yarmolenko still to come back so those attacking midfield players we've got those in the squad we need to see what happens to Wilshere I think the midfield we've got lots of midfielders on the books but a lot of them are, are currently sitting in the treating room so we'll have to wait and see what happens with those mm. yeah no I, I couldn't you know it's, it's quite clear where we need to strengthen um I mean, given how, how little money we're we're led to believe we've got to spend, you know, I, I see. I think it's a no-brainer that you throw you throw Sammy Nasri a contract, um, just because he's an extra extra pair of legs. Um, you might only have him for ten games a season because he'd be injured like the rest of them. But uh, you're right about Yarmolenko. But again, he's had the reason why he picked that injury because he's got previous injuries um, and he's he fl- it flared up. So is that going to happen again next season? I think, you know, Sanchez, yeah, okay, good squad player, but so is Perez, so is Michael Antonio. But do we know... I mean, I just, I, I, I don't know, I, I re- because of what, I mean, I, I try not to believe, like, read too much into it, but I do fear now that we're going to have another disappointing window, like, like all the ones we've had previously apart from last summer, and it's going to be, we're not ready. We're not ready. And that's a problem, because we were led to believe that, you know, Pellegrini's come in. We've got Mario Husselos in as director of football. Spent 100 million quid. We've got this new all-signal dancing athletic stadium. It's, you know, this is the new era. And then, what, three years in, we now can only spend 30 million quid in the summer. It doesn't ring true to me. It, do, it doesn't. 
I don't, I don't think that will happen. And I don't think Pellegrini will stand for that either. I think Pellegrini's been a real beacon of hope. So he certainly has for me. That was a real statement of intent. I know the 100 million was was a big statement, but then I've, I've got my own views on that where I think, A, the, the board had no choice to do that after it all kicked off yeah, as it, the way it did yeah. last season. They had literally no choice. And also, if you spread that 100 million out over the previous three seasons or six windows we barely spent any money in those so you 100 million over six windows is all of a sudden not a lot and i i just i think we've they've got to they've got to i don't think pellegrini will stand for it and surely the board won't be naive enough to think that anything less than another window similar to what we had last summer especially after the non-movement that we had in january as well Mm. Surely they won't be naive enough to think that that will wash with fans because it won't. No, I do agree. But then you look at the flip side and you wonder what Pellegrini thinks of the youngsters that's, that, that that are waiting in the wings. Um, you know, we've seen Ben Johnson. Okay, he's only had one game, but maybe perhaps he'll have a little bit more of a role to play next year. Dean Garner, you'd like to see a little bit more of him in the starting eleven next season. You know, I think he's done enough to warrant that opportunity of being a little bit more involved next year. Zande Silva, we're led to believe, is waiting in the wings. He's had a few opportunities this season. Uh, Joe Powell, rave reviews. Josh Cullen out on loan. Nathan Holland, I think. Nathan Holland's been yeah. in and around the first team squad. So there are six or seven youngsters there. That's not even including Declan Rice um, that that uh, potentially could be involved in the first team squad next year, which is great. But you wonder how 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 much they're going to be involved. You know, we can't throw seven youngsters in and start <laughs> nine up. No, but that is a good point. And spending money might not be the answer anyway. Because if you look at what happened at the beginning of this season, when of course West Ham did have a summer where they invested heavily, brought in some star names, spent a lot of money. Actually, the beginning of the season wasn't straightforward. Things didn't go well because if you do spend a vast amount of money and you do sell a load of players and bring a load of new faces in, that takes time to gel and to bed so in a funny way if it is the 30 million and only the 30 million and i completely understand your skepticism about that figure but if it were to be that as you say will bolstered by some sales that could end up being a blessing in disguise because actually you bring in a few players you make sure they're the right players that of course is important Mm. but then a few more youngsters and you're not dealing year on year with a whole overhaul no, I totally, I, I do think that. And I think certainly myself in recent weeks, I've been guilty of just suggesting that there is, because to the, if you look at all the players as individuals, there there does seem so much Deadwood in that team. But mm. I think I've sort of come to realise in the last few weeks that, you know what, there's so many of them players that could fall either side of the fence about whether you're that fuss, whether they stay or not, that, you still need. You can't just get rid of all of them that you're not that worried about, and I, I think it would be silly to do that. And I don't think mm. we will either. The, cl- the club, the club are you know more au fait with transfer dealings than I am. That's for sure. Well, well. So, some of those players will be featuring against Tottenham Hotspur at the weekend, and coming up on the West Ham Fan Show, we'll be looking ahead to a big game at a big stadium. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, and of course, James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. Also underway in your Premier League action this evening. Arsenal nil, Wolverhampton nil, and Manchester United nil, Manchester City nil. Three minutes into the Manchester derby. Updates for you, of course, throughout both of those games throughout the show today. But 
The next big game for West Ham is Spurs at the weekend. A Tottenham team, of course, who are still unbeaten at their new stadium. I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Dan Tracy of the eSpurs podcast. Evening, Dan. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Are you ever going to lose a game at this new ground? I hope not. <laughs> Straightforward. Yeah. Saturday you will. Uh, well, what, what makes you think that? Because at the moment, we, we've turned it into a fortress and I don't really think West Ham have sort of got too much in their locker. You know, look at the... Uh... Oh, you've, Dan, you've come out swinging. Love this. Well, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this, Dan. <laughs> it's pound for pound, really. I'm, I'm giving as good as I've got, so let's Dan, go. Dan, do you not think, though, on a, on a serious note, I mean, given that you know, you've got a really... like the club's biggest game in, in, in its history... Uh, against Ajax and then in the uh, Champions League semi-final coming up you've got a number of injuries to key players do you think that there's a risk here that you know Pochettino might be tempted to, to, to rest a few of the key players with the Champions League semi-final in mind play a couple of youth players and then that might then eventually sort of undo Tottenham on Saturday I'm not I still think Tottenham will finish in the top four I don't think you'll beat Ajax in the, in the semi-final but I think that you know you have to look at it and go. Well, Champions League semi-final is the priority right now, not West Ham at home. Yeah, of course. All jokes aside, you're absolutely right. I mean, Ajax is the biggest game that I think it could be the club's biggest ever game in all fairness. So there is going to be that um, that, that decision, that choice whether Pochettino does make changes. Um, I mean, if you look at the Huddersfield game uh, beforehand, uh, before Manchester City, we made wholesale changes. So there could be the same kind of logic. I mean, no disrespect to West Ham, but you haven't got anything to play for. So um, it's not like Brighton last night where they're sort of fighting for their lives and they're the kind of the tougher games where they're you know, harder to break down. So you may look at that and think, although you're higher up the table, it's the same kind of state as the Huddersfield game where, although, of course, you're going to be up for it as, as much as we are in terms of you know that kind of the derby and the rivalry, it might be the sort of a free hit. And also the fact that, uh, league results have just gone our way in these last sort of few days. It might be a case of um, even if we just get a draw, you know, it's still in our hands. So I think there will be scope to make changes. I think we've got to make changes because, like I say, Ajax is it outweighs any sort of uh, local rivalry West Ham. Dan, you're spot on when you say that you've turned that new stadium into something of a fortress. But that first home loss will come. And does it matter to you who it comes to? Will it hurt more if it is against a West Ham or a Chelsea or an Arsenal? Do you really want to lose it to, or you never want to lose a game, but would you rather lose to a Huddersfield or someone who isn't quite as ingrained in the history of London football? Do you want it to perhaps be a little less close to home? Um, well, that's a good question. I mean, like I said, you never really want to lose to your rivals because, you know, it's one of the things that's always brought up of, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's something that has to happen at some point. So if it is three weeks from the end of the season, it's not going to be like when Arsenal won the league at um, White Hart Lane. You know, that's something that always comes up. I don't, although it'll be something to cry about for West Ham fans if West Ham do win on Saturday, it's not going to live, live long in their memories. It's not going to be like, oh, when you bottled it. Like, I think it's just run-of-the-mill football is, you know, it's part of the course. But I think, you know, obviously, if you are going to lose, you'd rather lose to someone without that kind of needle behind it. But life goes on. I think, you know, if we if we do lose to West Ham on Saturday and we beat Ajax, then that defeat to West Ham is very quickly forgotten. Dan, you touched on it there about, obviously, with the Ajax game looming on the horizon that he may make changes, Pochettino. But obviously, with, with, with no Kane and 
what what do you think going forward that the, he's going to be thinking? Because it's not like you've got a, a smorgasbord of options. I know Jensen came on for the first time in about 500 years in, in the Brighton game. What, what There's no chance of him starting, is there? I'd be very surprised. I mean, like I say, if you take the Huddersfield game as the blueprint and the changes he made there, some was on the bench. We had Lorente and Lucas. So perhaps that might happen again. Um, it might be a switch of defensive personnel. You know, we seem to be sort of um, fully stocked at the back. So you might not see both Adebayo and Batongan play at centre back. It could be scope for Davis to play at centre back or Davis play at left back. There could be switches there. Ford's had some minutes regularly. So it might not necessarily be. Um, changes in attack because you haven't really got people to change but I think you might sort of see across the park Eric Dyer's on the fringes of playing as well so it might be sort of players that have been out of the fold um, recently that then come back in maybe even Lamella if he ever gets sort of fit again so um, it's hard to sort of second guess Potts because every time you think you know what, what he's going to do he then pulls something else out of the bag because I don't think many people would expect him to go with Lorente up top last night with Lucas and Son that one to be honest I don't think it really worked I don't think we got the best out of Lucas and Son I think obviously there's a I don't know if sentiment's the word after that sort of um, Cole, he's gone of his hip. He's obviously given him the chance to, to do something against Brighton, but he wasn't quite as effective. So whether that will go against him um, for Saturday, I don't know. But it, like I say, we haven't really got many options, so we can't really sort of just throw someone out on the basis that they didn't have a good game against Brighton because we need players to play. Dan, you know, I think you know, in, in pre- previous seasons, we, we always seem to play each other around about this time of year. Uh, and you know, West Ham tend to come out on top in, in, the, in these games. Um, normally one nil. Uh, normally an Antonio header or something like that. Um, and all that. While I'm not saying that that's definitely going to happen on Saturday, you know, we've been playing quite well recently, despite not really picking up the results. Um, is there anyone in the in the West Ham team right now, uh, in the form that we're in, um, results aside, that you know you think that may be able to hurt Tottenham at the weekend? Um, I think Antonio is a, a good shout. I think Philippe Anderson's always um, got something in his locker. I mean, he hasn't quite sort of continued that form that he had at the start of the season, but that's not to write him off at all. Um, I think West Ham, obviously, that the well-drilled unit, they're not quite as good as they are um, on the road there as they are at home. So maybe, you know, the fact we are at home might play into our hands. But of course, you know, we mentioned changes in the lights, so that also gives West Ham cause for optimism. So I think, you know, I think the fact that Sometimes with West Ham, it's more the collective rather than the individual. And I just think, you know, as a team, they certainly could be in the mood to cause Tottenham some problems. Dan, the big question, of course, is the one that puts you on the spot. How do you think the game will go at the weekend? I need a score prediction from you, please. Um, I'll take a... I'll go a frustrating one all. I think, you know, like I say, in the grand scheme of things, we're nearly over the line. So I don't think that's the worst result with Ajax in, on mine on Tuesday. So as long as we get something keeps us in the box seat for the top four, then yeah, I'll take a one all because I think, you know, West Ham will be pumped for it. No disrespect, we're going to have our eyes on a slightly bigger prize come uh, midweek, so I'll take a draw. Wonderful stuff. Well, Dan, lovely to speak to you. Thanks ever so much for your time. Dan Tracy there of the E Spurs podcast, confident but measured. That'll also mean that we're the first away team to score at the new stadium, so we'll take that as well. It wouldn't be a bad, a nice little a accolade, badge, would it? I yeah. just, I've just, just talking about it today, though. I've just got the the last Highbury first at Emirates thing. I know he said there that you know it's not the sort of thing you dwell on forever, but 
But nowhere in a thousand years would that not be a thing that people would dwell on, is it? Because the last at Highbury, first at Emirates thing is still a, a thing. It gets sung every single away game at the Emirates. Every time Arsenal come to the London Stadium, it, it is a thing people hold on to, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that would be, it'd be, a, it'd be a great thing to not... Yeah, to it's not the bragging only, rights. Exactly. Yeah, and history matters. Tradition matters. Uh, still nil-nil in the Manchester derby. Still nil-nil between Wolves and Arsenal too. Uh, there's football in... Italy going on as well in the Coppa Italia between Lazio and Milan. And we're hearing quite concerning rumours of alleged racist abuse uh, directed at Bakayoko, which is something we'll touch on in just a moment. This is Love Sport. It's all very, very tight in the Manchester derby, still nil-nil. But there's football going on in Italy as well, Lazio and Milan taking each other on. Of course, important to remember that the last time these two clubs met, Lazio fans were found to racially abused on loan Milan midfielder Bakayoko. Uh, And tonight we're hearing reports from Football Italia that... Lazio Ultras have brought at least four inflatable bananas into the San Siro and are allegedly chanting Bakayoko, the bananas are for you. We've seen with Moise Keane that Italian football, not that English football is in any way perfect on this issue as we've seen time and again this season, Italian football does seem to be lagging behind and I just cannot see how anyone in any nation, any football fan, can think that behaviour like this is in any way acceptable. Totally agree. There's no, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing more to add to what you've said there, Johnny. To be honest, I think the one interesting debate that's been raging recently, obviously Raheem Sterling, uh, in, and the Times came out this week, didn't they, with their new manifesto and a new mm-hmm. revised pledge against uh, to fight all forms of racism within the game and obviously within society beyond that. But I think the one thing that interests me is a debate that's been raging and we've even seen within playing squads. I think Harry Kane's got one view and then there's some of the others who've come out and disagreed with him about the idea of players, whether they should walk off the pitch with incidences like that and whether if you do walk off the pitch, are you letting those narrow-minded idiots win or are you making a stand and and ruining the game? It's quite quite an interesting one to hear and I'm assuming from what you're saying then that there's been no sign of players walking off? No, not not as yet. Uh, we obviously have heard in Italy Ancelotti say that if his players, because it's something that his centre-halves have been subjected to in the past, he said that if it happens again, he'll bring his team off. We haven't seen that at the San Siro. As you say, a very difficult decision to take. But I just think that... There need to be tougher sanctions here as well because these fans, whether or not, they clearly don't have acceptable views on race, but they know that what they're doing is deemed unacceptable by the authorities, right? Even if they think but they it's know fine. they're not going to get punished. Well, this is the thing. They or, know or they're not meant to be punishment. doing it. And that, that's exactly it. Stadium bans, clearly not strong enough. We should be talking about arrests here. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in Italian law, but I don't see how, if this is what's going on, and it is just reports so far, but from a fairly reputable source in the form of Football Italia, I don't see how that can be anything other than a hate crime. You're directly abusing Mm. someone for their race, and none of us should be standing for it. I agree with what Raheem Sterling said about the whole nine-point ban. Do it. Bring it in. Because yeah, there is the argument, okay, well, you know, some fans might do it and try and sort of like dupe dupe it to look like, you know, you're a fan of another club or your rival so that your rivals get. But, you know, you can easily find that stuff out quite easily. And then, you know, once one fan gets caught doing that, 
and uh, you know, there's a chance you go to prison um, uh, and, and all the rest of it. I don't think anyone, you know, and, you know, I, you know, I, I'd like to not try and second guess a racist, but you know, I can't imagine someone's gonna try and, you know, get one of their rivals a nine point deduction by, you know, duping that with the risk of going to prison. Um, and I think you know it should be nine point deduction for the club, and whoever's whoever's been found guilty goes to prison. If they are Simple found guilty, if they are found guilty, what's been going and on? I think, yeah, you know, I agree. Taking them to court and giving them a, a one year suspended sentence and a, and a little ban and a, and a lifetime ban from uh, from football that doesn't do anything. You know, it I, doesn't I think, do anything. I think you're spot on in the no tolerance sense of things, but there also does have to be an education aspect because 100%. I, I would never for a second seek to condone the, this kind of behaviour. You again. rehabilitate them in prison. But again, exactly, if, if what you're dealing with is people who hold these views, that is such a fundamental ignorance and such a fundamental lack of education that actually education does have to be part, not of the punishment, but as you say, the rehabilitation moving back to English football and cheerier things although not for Arsenal fans we have had a goal in tonight's Premier League action and we've got a goal update live for you from Clive Edwards it's Wolves 1 Arsenal 0 the goal scorer Ruben Neves a superbly struck free kick 25 yards out it's one of Wolves uh, second chance uh, second effort on goal this one struck beautifully to the right of the wall to the right of the goalkeeper too and it gave the keeper no chance it's Wolves 1 Arsenal 0 doesn't do normal goals does he Neves if it's not a screamer if it's not a volley that he's just flicked up on the edge of the box or a free kick or something he's just not interested you know what's confusing me obviously Wolves have had a fantastic season but given the results at the weekend it's almost like Arsenal and Chelsea want Tottenham to finish in the top four Mm. they're supposed to they're supposed to be rivals and they're supposed to not like the club Chelsea against getting a two-all draw against Burnley and Burnley were excellent by the way Mm. On, and Arsenal losing at home to Crystal Palace. Like, oh, well, if we win, then it means Tottenham won't be in the top four, so we better not do that. It's ridiculous. Uh, does anyone want to finish in the top four? I mean, <laughs> because even Tottenham have had to, you know, they huffed and puffed against Brighton. Um, do they even... I mean, it's, it's getting ridiculous. You know, if they don't want to do it, then, you know, Wolves will, we will. You know, we'll do it. Uh, it's, you it's might just struggle it. mathematically. Yeah, but, you know... It is what it is. You know, let's not get the facts in the way of it. I just, it's just weird in the last couple of weeks that you know some of these teams just you know, they've got a huge opportunity. Do you think there's an element of pressure that comes with that opportunity where Arsenal's players are either feeling complacent, and I think they were feeling complacent against Palace because they'd seen that United result, and I think those players, the mentality that we've seen time and time again at Arsenal is a problem. I think they'll have looked at that and gone, well, top four's ours now, lads. It's all open, forgetting that there was the small matter of them winning a game of football first. Today, do you think it's a question of pressure? I don't think Manchester... I'd like to think that Manchester City don't feel pressure because I think they've, they've just... They're almost drilled in it now and they just... Guardiola boils it down to just football and I think he's going to be in that dressing room before and all he's going to be saying is you are a better football team than these 11 players. As mm-hmm. 11 men going out on the pitch, you are far better. He's than- right, but at the moment, it's looking like a 50-50 contest, a good contest as well, end-to-end stuff. City had a wonderful chance, a shot beaten away by De Gea, but immediately United were on the break. A through ball slipped 
through and David De Gea, uh, sorry, Edison had to come sprawling off his line to make a save at the feet of Marcus Rashford. It's still United nil, City nil, but it looks like it could be a game with goals in it. I hope, well, I hope so. Just I hope they're scored by people in blue shirts. <laughs> I think at this rate, it's looking like they might be. Next up for West Ham is, of course, Tottenham. We heard the Tottenham take on things just a moment ago from Dan Tracy of the eSpurs podcast. But coming up, it's time to hear how West Ham should approach the game. This is Love Sport. It's the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. And next up for the Hammers, it is, of course, Tottenham Hotspur. It's Tottenham Hotspur away and a stadium they have yet to lose at. Gents, are you confident of claiming a little trophy of your own? I am, funnily enough. And not, not, you know, not overtly confident, confident enough to suggest that we're going to turn up there and wipe the floor with them. Let's remember they still haven't conceded a goal there. Mm. But I think similar to the United game, when we played them, they had, they were had the Barcelona game in the Champions League the following Tuesday. It's a similar situation to Tottenham. They've played last night. It's one of those games again where if you had to pick some circumstances or a situation in which to play Tottenham, when they've had a midweek game and they've got arguably the biggest game of their history coming up on the following Tuesday, now's the time to do it. And I don't know, I just always get that feeling going into games with Tottenham. I know the Dan was saying there that we've got nothing to play for, which is true, but that also does like plays into our hands in that all we have got to play for is this game pretty much. And I think Pellegrini will get the get the players up for it. The players will be up for it. So will the fans. And you know, I, I can't see any reason why not. No, I agree. I think the only thing I am expecting at the weekend is a good performance. Um, I'm really expecting the team to turn up. Whether that then you know transpires that we end up winning the game then you know it's a different map because we all know you know we played well the last three games and then we've got you know, we've got one point to show for it so we don't know how the game's going to go I've got a good feeling that we will we'll nick something whether that's a point or three points I don't know I do think we'll be the first team to score there um, but I just all I want is a 100% effort from the team between now and the end of the season whether it's a Tottenham game a Southampton game or a Watford game you know, I just want I don't want to see our season just Sort of fizzle out into nothing and us finish 14th, you know, because there's a huge, you know, chance that we will finish 14th. And if that does happen, it would just, you know, after what was a poor start and then, you know, quite promising middle, for it just to end the way that it potentially could end, it would be really frustrating. And yeah, this is probably our last big thing to fight for, which is a London derby win. Um, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, as long as we turn up, we've got half a chance. Talking of disappointing ends to a season, it is Wolverhampton Wanderers. Hang on, it said 2-0 a minute ago, and we're back to what? And it is now 2-0. Matt Doherty has scored for Wolves. And it's fantasy Wolves points. Two. Yeah, he's a, he, my rival's got him in fantasy as well. Aside from that, that's that's pretty much us condemned to the bottom half for the season. Obviously, Wolves are just the one place above us in 10th on 48 points. That puts them on 51, and us on 43 with three games remaining. It's pretty much an unassailable unassailable gap which you know I know it's disappointing for uh, disappointing for Arsenal fans there obviously but I, I think that will leave a bit of a sour taste in the mouth in itself mm. even if we even if we finish 11th this season which which I think is disappointing we've got a goal update from the Wolves game with Clive Edwards <laughs> <laughs> 
It's Wolves 2, Arsenal 0. Wolves' second goal scored by Matt Doherty. Arsenal have been weak in attack, but they've been even worse in defence. This was a complete hash. A cross came over from Johnny Otto. Up went Matt Doherty. Easily beat the Arsenal defence. He was out on his own. The Arsenal keeper made a complete hash of it too. Some very careless defending by Arsenal. And they're 2-0 down. A really positive assessment of Arsenal's performance there from Clive <laughs> Edwards. Sounds like they're putting in an excellent shift. Everything we've come to expect from Arsenal. Not, of course, the only team in North London. Not really playing like a team at all, it sounds like. And do you think that Spurs are now in pole position for top four, particularly if the Arsenal game does stay like this? Yes. Yeah, I think I, I do. Especially after the weekend. I think with Chelsea going to get a point against Burnley, I think that was a... That was obviously a huge one as well. I can't really see United getting a point here tonight. They're um, looking quite bright in the last five minutes or so. It's been it's been relatively equal, really. I think, mm. Although Sergio Aguero has just made Chris Smalling look like a five-year-old boy. Uh, <laughs> Not hard, though, is it? T- turned him and knocked him <laughs> over in one move. It's actually just completely, oh, completely yeah. offensive. Uh, <laughs> so pray for Chris, I think, is the message for this evening. So how do you see this game going then? Well, you were saying hard to see United getting a point. Rashford looking a bit isolated, but they are breaking with some intensity, some adventure. Do you think there's any kind of chance for United? Well, just from what I've seen sort of briefly as I've been looking at the TV, I mean, a decision to play um, Andreas Pereira in midfield looks like it, it may... Fred, by the way. Well, I mean, I'm just, just Andreas Pereira, he's been everywhere. Um, I mean, he's always got himself books. I mean, mm. he's up for it. Um, a couple of flying tackles. But that's what Man United's needed is a little bit of bite, a little bit of heart. Uh, in a game like this, you need it. I mean, his, his yellow cards flying out all over the place and... But Pereira's been been everywhere for for United in that midfield so far, and I think you know decision to play him there, young, hungry, you know, something to play for with his contract for, coming to an end. His contract, you know, I think it, it looks like it could be an inspired decision from Solskjaer. Obviously, you know, it's still early days, but you know he's been involved. Um, you know, he's played a lot of key passes, and I think you know if he can if they can continue that, then I reckon United could nick something here. It's a pretty tenacious game as well. You were saying yellow cards flying in left, right and centre. Alexander Zinchenko is the latest to get booked for absolutely clattering a United well, play. A, a minute ago, Pereira clattered Zinchenko and got booked. Right. So, he's, yeah. He's given it back. Yeah. Well, Ashley Young, of course, who's been hit and miss from set pieces, now has a chance to put a dent in that Manchester City title challenge. I just find it so disappointing. It's like the point you were making about not wanting West Ham's season to peter out into nothingness, James. Arsenal's is just pathetic. If you if if you lose to Palace and then you lose to Wolves, I'm sorry. What is going on? I know what I feel. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, your season petering out, finishing fifth is a little bit better than your season <laughs> finishing 14th or whatever, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people forget it because of, you know, what the season was, but our, you know, farewell bowling season, that petered out. We could have finished fourth, yep. then lost to Swansea and Stoke in our last three games, albeit we did beat Man United in the last game, and ended up finishing seventh. Um, so, yeah, it's been done. It's, it's, it's well known to happen in London. Seems <laughs> just, you know, bottling it in the end. So... <sighs> I'll have to move on. I'll, ha- I'll have to stay strong. 
Do you think that West Ham will have a better start to the season next time around? Do you think that's a problem that Pellegrini is going to consistently have? Or was this a one-off because there was so much money spent, so much new blood brought in? It was a one-off, I think. You know, OK, you can't guarantee they're going to lose the next four next season. I think all we need now is to draw City on the first game <laughs> of, of next season. And for the last six years, if you include next year, if we get City, we'd have had... Every mem- every team in the top six on the first day of the season, so we don't really get an easy start. No, um, it's been a great night for stats, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's been, been a great sensational. Yeah, yeah. The top Trumps game was was we, top notch. But we we had under a million quid spare, new manager, new style of play. Um, you know, it was loads of change. So when we, after we lost the first four, particularly Liverpool away on the opening day, you know, it wasn't a real surprise. I'm just happy the way that it has turned out and that we've not been involved in a relegation battle as such. Uh, but, you know, it'd be nice to start a season strongly for once. Well, there is still a season to end, of course. And next up for West Ham, it is Tottenham Hotspur. And, gents, it's that time in the show where I put you on the spot. Score predictions, please. I'm going to go, I'm going to record Nick it, 1-0. 1-0. Who's scoring, Antonio? <laughs> yeah, Anderson. <laughs> Anderson, hero status, I think. Yeah, okay. I, I was going to say 1-0 as well, Michael Antonio ahead all day long. So you're both very, very confident that you will be the first team to win at that Spurs stadium. Yeah, absolutely. And no that would bring you an added little bit of Schadenfreude, wouldn't it? Let's be oh, honest. yeah, yeah. Now Dan's off the line, we, we can admit. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Loads, not a he's little bit either. Now. Not he's a little listening. bit. It'd be loads. You think, really, you'd be talking about chance for years? We're talking of course about. It would be, of course, it'd be chance for years. We'd forget about being the first team to win at the Emirates and the I last don't think hybrid, that's true. Then, I think. That'd just be a song just referencing both, though, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, everyone's winning at the Emirates at the moment. It's not that much of an achievement anymore, it would appear. Still nil nil in the Manchester derby. And as every point matters, West Ham are bidding to become the first team to ruin Tottenham's. Well, not just record at their stadium, but Champions League challenge ahead of what will be a massive game for them in the Champions League as well. Join us next week. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news, and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. on the West Ham Fan Show. Sports Social Podcast Network.